Welcome to podcast number 13 from Ministry to Children. My name is Tony Coomer, and today I'm talking with Timothy Paul Jones. Now, Dr. Jones is a professor at Southern Seminary, and he's uh, busy writing books and articles and just being a thought leader on the area of family ministry. So, Dr. Jones, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Tony. Well, hey, let's just uh, get to know you a little bit. Can you tell me how you came to Christ? Well, I was uh, a preacher's kid, and of course that doesn't make you any more or less likely to come to Christ, but that was kind of how I um, began a spiritual journey, being probably that over-churched kid, uh, and, and being there at every worship service and at every revival and all of that. Uh, I remember being, and when I was five years old, um, came to just there was during a revival service this recognition that being good wasn't enough, uh, that doing the right things wasn't enough. And uh, and coming to this recognition at that point, which I think God really began to work in my heart just as five, five years old or so, um, with that recognition that uh, that there's something more that has to happen beyond just being good and which receiving, I wouldn't have articulated it that way then, obviously, but receiving the goodness of Christ uh, and simply realized I, I need Jesus and coming to that recognition. And uh, I was baptized then. Um, months later or so when I was uh, six years old, and uh, that began, I would say, this, a spiritual journey of God working in my heart and uh, God doing something in that. I think it often happens when you have a, an early experience of conversion like that. There was a later time when I really wrestled with some issues, um, and we're in a very fundamentalist church, uh, you know, the type when there were, at that time, there were three primary enemies in that church, Russians, rock music, and the Revised Standard Version of the Bible, and so in the midst of that, really wrestled with what was what was what was the rules and what was God and what how can you push back towards some of the rules maybe without uh, rejecting um, what you believe about God and really struggled with that um, when I was about 14 15 years old and um, and and came to finally after after a time of struggling really a resolution and a recognition of of this is for real this is for me uh, this is who Jesus is and um, and trusting in him was called to the ministry um, a couple three years after that and um, and began uh, training and, and going to uh, college, to uh, Bible college um, after at that time. And uh, that kind of brought me the, at least the trajectory that has brought me to where I am today. Well, I appreciate hearing that because uh, you probably know one of the things that, that I've been stressed out about lately is overchurched kids and uh, my own kids. You know, how did you end up now teaching at Southern Seminary and writing books about family ministry? How did that become an interest of yours and a specialty? Well, it really began, even though I didn't know it at the time, it began all the way back when uh, I was uh, called into youth ministry, um, or at least began youth ministry. And uh, for me, it was somewhat interesting. I was um, I was always in small churches my whole life. And uh, I, so when I felt a calling to ministry, to me, that automatically meant a calling to be a pastor, because I didn't know there was anything else. Uh, that's all I knew about was being a pastor. Um, and so I, I surrendered to that calling in my life and uh, spent about six years as a pastor in a small church in central Missouri, in the midst of that, toward the end of that time, really felt uh, God leading me toward youth ministry, and I couldn't figure out why at the time in so many ways, and uh, and so I, I ended up in a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a uh, mid-sized church there on the east side of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, entered into youth ministry uh, in that congregation. Looking back, I think God was not so much calling me to a position as he was calling me to that particular place uh, and placed me there. And, and I did youth ministry the best I knew how to do 
do it uh, in the ways that I had seen it done in different places uh, over those years that I'd been a, a pastor. Uh, just uh, that, that was walked into doing youth ministry and, uh, and and really felt like after a year or two into that, there is something missing in the midst of all this to do with youth ministry. And I really wrestled with it. I, I did all the tried to do all the fun and the games, and yet still do the discipleship and um, really running myself ragged doing all the different things because uh, much of the emphasis in youth ministry in that time, at least in that particular context, was keep, was keep doing things bigger and better and bigger and better to get bigger crowds and then slip in Jesus. And so get the big crowd and slip in Jesus. And uh, and really, uh, in 2001, I uh, came to a point of, uh, I went to the church and I said uh, to one of the deacons and the pastor, I said, I would love to stay in this particular congregation. I love this church. I feel called here. But I've done all I can do in youth ministry, and I don't know what else to do. And and I ask that uh, either they give me time to find another position uh, somewhere in another church and let me remain in the church until that time, or let me step into some other position in the congregation. The congregation was uh, gracious enough to place me in the role of uh, being over children's ministry and uh, administration, administration and children's ministry uh, in that particular congregation. Where I did that role for a couple of years and then by accident, quote-unquote, um, ended up as the senior pastor of that particular congregation where I served for several years after that. And in the midst of all of that, uh, I just had this, this gnawing feeling that I couldn't quite figure out that there was something that we were missing in the whole youth and children's ministry that we were doing. And uh, toward the end, when I was pastor of the church is when it really began to sink in that for the first time, nobody had ever told me parents are supposed to be primary disciple makers in their children's lives. That simple truth that now I repeat over and over and over, it really didn't occur to me until I'd been doing ministry for a decade total before it sank in with me, parents are to be primary disciple makers in their children's lives. And um, and so I, I began implementing some things in, as, a, as a pastor, just helping parents to engage in devotions with their children, helping them to uh, rehearse the gospel in their homes, things like that. And uh, in 2007, um, Randy Stinson at uh, Southern Seminary, he's dean of the School of Church Ministries, called and asked me if I would be interested in a uh, faculty position at Southern Seminary uh, beginning to just teaching uh, what I was practicing at the local church level. And I don't think I'll ever be a professor. I don't know what you do as a professor. What I consider myself to be is a pastor on permanent loan to the seminary. Uh, that's really what I consider my role to be. And so I come here as a, as a pastor with 16 or so years of, of experience in the pastorate in various areas of ministry. And so in the midst of all of that, uh, what I'm teaching is in many ways uh, what I learned over all these years uh, in the ministry. And I've been given the opportunity, just a, a glorious God-given opportunity over the past few years to just focus my time on what's going on in, in family ministry, what's working, what isn't working, how can we help churches to implement this, and consulting with churches, working with churches literally all around the world uh, on this issue. I just consider it to be a privilege to do what I do, but it really is something that comes out of this experience in youth ministry and children's ministry and as a pastor, and how do I, how do I help uh, parents rehearse the gospel at home uh, in such a way that what we're doing at church is it doesn't end at church. It's parents being primary disciple makers in the homes well let's talk a little bit more about this whole issue of of church and family uh, connectedness uh, in this process of discipleship why is it all of a sudden this giant issue that churches are worried about or or at least that uh, church leaders are worried about 
I, I think it seems like it's a, a brand new issue, and the reason the reason it does is because uh, just some historical things that have happened, uh, because it really has become much more of a buzz over the past few years, and that is basically just in the shortest possible way to say it, uh, what has happened is uh, that that we ended up back in the 80s and 90s with the first generation of theologically trained youth and children's ministers. Before that, back into the kind of the early stage of professionalizing youth ministry and then children's ministry in the 50s, 60s, early 70s, they basically chosen people to do these positions who could play well with kids. They, were, uh, they weren't looking for somebody theologically trained, theologically astute, or anything like that. They were looking for somebody to uh, play with the youth, to, uh, to do things with the youth, get some discipleship in along the way, uh, but it wasn't, they weren't really looking for someone theologically trained. What happens in the, the, by the late 80s and then on into the 90s is you start having theologically trained youth and children's ministers who are reflecting on what they're doing very theologically. And, and so you have this, this talk all the way through the 90s, especially toward the end of the 90s, of uh, there's youth ministries in crisis, things are broken, things aren't working, and, and there's all this talk about different uh, attrition rates, we're losing most of the kids, and, and some of that stuff was true, some of it wasn't, but the point is everybody seemed to realize or to believe that there was a problem in what they were doing. And I think what we saw was during that time period, youth ministers and children's ministers were beginning to reflect theologically on what was going on in their churches, and they were finding some of what they were doing was coming up short. And so I think this, what we might call the contemporary family ministry movement uh, in the early 2000s, I think that arises from this dissatisfaction. So now we've got all these people who are talking about family ministry from all these different angles. And I think one of the the things that, that, that frightens me in that, or at least concerns me in that, even though I, I consider myself to be part of this, and, and I'm in the conversation, is the idea that uh, we need to just start uh, the family ministry is a fix, a cure-all for problems in the church. It isn't a fix or a cure-all. It's not something that you can uh, simply launch in your church and, and fix all these problems that are supposedly happening. It is something important. It is something significant. Um, but I think we have to, to not treat it pragmatically. Like, we've got problems in our church. We need to launch a family ministry. That fixes the problems, and then we go on. We're talking about an ethos that needs to be woven through the whole life of the congregation is what needs to be happening in family ministry. And, and I, I find myself saying that over and over uh, to ministers and to, uh, to youth ministers, children's ministers, pastors, in, in our dialogues about this. No, this isn't something that's going to fix all the problems in your church. This is something in which we're talking about introducing a new ethos that recognizes parents as primary disciple makers in their children's lives. Yeah, that that brings up the the kind of the question that's always been in the back of my mind is in terms of okay, if we want to implement family ministry, okay, this is important. We see the value of it, you know, but I've got only so many volunteers to do this program and only so many volunteers to do this program and half of my parents are just struggling to get here on Sunday morning, much less go home and lead family worship on Sunday afternoon. Uh how does all this work? And I think that's one of the things that is so important we emphasize that what we're talking about anyway, and I'm speaking here primarily from where I'm sitting here at Southern Seminary, is not a launch of a whole bunch of new programs. In fact, it's not the launch of any new programs. Let's kind of establish the field here. Imagine on the one hand you've got uh, people that I respect greatly who are in what's called the family integrated church movement, and they're saying we wipe out everything that is age graded. We wipe out everything that is youth and children. We just wipe that out. That's the family integrated 
perspective. And they mean well, um, and, and there's, there's some good people in that, but they're just basically wiping out youth and children's ministry completely. So we've got that on the one side. Then we've got more the family-friendly approach on the other side of it, which is add new programs that you add some things that, that bring the generations together uh, on this family-friendly side. What, I, what I'm trying to establish and what I want us to aim toward is in between those two, where we're not saying on the one hand that you add new programs, like a family-friendly approach, nor are we saying wipe out every program, uh, such as in the uh, family-integrated approach. What we call a family-equipping perspective steers a course in between those two in which what we're saying is don't add any new programs. Whatever you do, don't add new programs. But take the programs or the activities, events, whatever you want to call them, that you've already got in place and do those in a way that equips parents to engage spiritually with their children. Now, one of the ways that I try to explain that is what I call the tie test, T-I-E, the tie test. Um, and that is to go through every event, activity, program you do with children or youth and go through those and say, am I going to tweak this so that it trains parents? involves parents or equips parents. And what I mean by training parents is you do something during that event that trains parents to do something at home uh, to take home what the kids got at that particular event. Even Example, children's camp. Um, one church, they, they during the week of children's camp, they decided they were going to turn that into a train event, a tea event. And so during the week of children's camp, all the parents were really pushed, and they did a dinner for them and everything so that on Wednesday night, all the parents showed up at church. And so the parents at church, um, then what all they did with those parents was using the same curriculum or the same idea, the same themes as they had during that week of kids' camp, they trained the parents to uh, do four weeks, uh, one a week of family devotions based on what the kids got at, at children's camp. So what the parents are getting, they rehearsed it with them, they did role playing, did all sorts of fun things with the parents on that Wednesday night rather than their regular church service, uh, in which the parents were being trained to be able to engage with their children when the children got home based on what the kids learned that week. Now that wasn't adding a new program, it was taking a program that was already in place and saying we are going to do this in a way that trains parents. Now, the other two are uh, I and E, involve the parents. That's not invite the parents. Inviting the parents is good, but involving the parents is designing the event so that the parents have got to be there for the event to work. Uh, so you plan it in such a way that the parents have a crucial role. Now, if you're going to do that with an event, one of the crucial things also is that you have what I call families in faith. That is, you have people in place. They may be singles. They may be senior adults, whatever they may be, who are trained and they are ready to say, if a kid shows up and doesn't have a parent with them, we're not going to let that child feel embarrassed. We're not going to let that child feel unwanted. We are going to immediately engage with that child and love on that child um, in, in the church, and that you have some people in place that are going to do that. So, so you need designing events so that they involve. The other one is equip. That is, you, you give the parents some sort of tool through the event, through what's going on, so that the parent uh, ends up with some sort of resource that they can take home and that they can use in family devotions or they can use to lead a, a talk with their child. They can use just to, to ask some questions of their child about the, the, the works of God and what God is doing in their lives. So what I encourage churches to think in terms of is don't add even one new program. Don't add one new event. Don't add any new activities. Rather, take the events you're doing and go through those and say, how can we TIE, train, involve, or equip parents through this event and tweak it 
to be able to do those things uh, so that we're not adding any new stuff. Because as I've been in children's ministry, I've been in youth ministry, and I know the last thing that you need to do in most churches is to add new stuff to what you're already doing. What we need to do is probably cut back some of the things we're doing, but what we are doing, do it wisely so that it trains, involves, or equips parents to become disciple makers in their children's lives. Well, I appreciate that answer because it really does clarify you know, what exactly are we talking about with family ministries? You know, my concern is that maybe this whole movement, you know, is about 30 years too late. Well, I don't think you're completely incorrect on that because I, I look at historically, um, we do have this this shift occurring in, in the 20th century, just kind of the, a long shift occurring in which certain things are happening in the church that more separate children uh, from their parents and separate this engagement and, and all of that. But one thing that is in, actually encouraging to me in some ways is this. In the Middle Ages, uh, this same thing happened uh, before. In other words, this disengagement of parents from their children spiritually happened before in the Middle Ages. It was due then to a drop in literacy. It was due to a centralization of the church uh, authority and the church education in, in, the, in the church itself rather than it being something that permeated the homes. But it, it happened in the Middle Ages. And here's what's encouraging to me about that. That sounds like discouraging. But uh, what's encouraging to me about that is in the aftermath of the Reformation, we have this rise anew of family discipleship, family worship, these practices of, uh, the, of, of family uh, parents engaging spiritually with their children, such that you have in the 1600s, 1700s, what one might call a golden age of that happening, then, that then diminishes throughout the 19th century and really almost dies off uh, by the mid-20th century. But what's encouraging to me about that is the church has gone through this before, and there has been a, some, some sort of recovery before. And so if it happened before, it can happen again. And so I think that's something to be encouraged by uh, in all of this. Now, all that said, I think one of the things that is, is so crucial in all of this is that we return again and again to the gospel not to the church itself, not to family even, but our goal is Jesus Christ and our means of getting there is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think one of the things we see happening throughout the 20th century is early in the 20th century, um, things from the industrial uh, era, from the industrial revolution and from factories and all of those things like that and from progressive education all get applied in the context of the church starting in the, in the 20th century such that um, it's perceived as centralized things and to segment them and professionalize them. If we could take three different words, it would be centralize, professionalize, and segment, uh, those three things. And so our educational programs in the church, our, our Christian education programs, became segmented, uh, age-graded, split apart, which is not inherently bad, except that that eventually becomes to the point that there's almost no intergenerational interaction. They become professionalized uh, throughout the 20th century. You have where we have a children's ministry professional, a youth ministry professional, all of that. Again, something not bad in and of itself, but it's something that ends up uh, separating the generations more and more. And then we have it centralized, that is drawn into a central church location where it doesn't get out into the homes and into the neighborhoods in quite the same way, perhaps that it did in other instances and in other contexts. That's something that I think is that we need to, to wrestle with and that isn't necessarily uh, a good thing, that centralizing. Well, we, we are now in the aftermath of that. That's where we live right now is in the aftermath of the centralized, segmentized, and professionalized approach to discipling the generations. Um, but, but I think that even in all of that, 
um, the, the goal and the direction we have to go is not just to try to dismantle those things and to react against those things. That's what I see some of my, my brothers whom I deeply respect, but uh, in family integrated movement, that's what I see them doing is reacting against that. What we have to do is return to the gospel, return to the gospel, let the gospel be central in what we do. And what that means when we make the gospel truly central in what we do, that the gospel is not something in which we engage in church, but it is something we also rehearse in our homes. And and that in returning to the gospel, what we mean by that is our homes are to be places where day by day, week by week, we rehearse the gospel. What that also does is is it frees us from what can quickly become an idolatry in a, in a family ministry emphasis, which is that we think our purpose is to have healthy families, or that our purpose is to have families doing devotions, or our purpose is to have families having these talks about, about the things of God. All those things are good, but all those things should and must flow out of our emphasis on the gospel, because if it doesn't, what our goal will become is to have healthy, happy families in the church with no recent visits from the Department of Human Services. And that's not the goal of Scripture. The goal in Scripture is, is the gospel and to return again and again to that. Because what happens if we, if we allow healthy families to become our goal is those families that aren't healthy or that it's going to take a lot to get them healthy that we don't try to impact them, we don't seek to love them, we don't seek to, to bring them to what it means for them to live in light of the gospel. I find it interesting, a couple of things. One of them is that the earliest use in a church-related context of the, word fam- the phrase family ministry um, is in a question of what is your family ministry, as in what is your family doing to reach the world. That was the, I think we need to recover that aspect of the meaning of the phrase family ministry. What is your family's ministry that you can share the gospel beyond, uh, beyond your home? And I think also that we have to recognize that part of the calling of family ministry is a calling to draw the orphans all around us into the family of God. That means that we have people in place in our churches who their families enfold spiritual orphans into their homes, where we, rather than aiming at healthy and whole families, we equip families so that those families can become ministers, can missionaries to the orphans all around us. Because this is at the heartbeat of the gospel itself. Because at the heartbeat of the gospel itself is that every one of us are born as orphans, every single one of us. And if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we are ex-orphans. And so the way we model that recognition that I am an ex-orphan adopted by God, the way that I model that is by reaching out to the orphans around all of us and, and, and enfolding them in families. And that's part of the, the emphasis of family ministry, or should be the emphasis of family ministry, is that gospel-centeredness. And I do see a change. I, I, I don't disagree that we're in some ways three decades too late uh, with much of this. But I do see so much of a change in so many uh, rising parents that are coming up now um, in, in actually a desire somehow to engage with their children. So many of them, they want to do it. They know they ought to do it. They just don't know how. Um, I recently did a survey of several hundred parents uh, in dozens of churches, and one of the things I found uh, of them is that more over 9 out of 10, more than 9 out of 10 of these parents said, 
I am responsible for my child's spiritual formation. I want to talk about, to my child about the things of God. But also, about eight out of ten of them said, nobody in my church is telling me how to do this. So even though it's too late, I don't think that we, we should despair. Because I think we see a rising generation of parents who are saying, I know I need to do this, I want to do this. And what they're waiting for is a church who equips them to be able to engage spiritually with their children and to let their household be a gospel rehearsing outpost in the world to enfold the spiritual orphans around them into uh, a family so that they too can experience the grace of God. That's probably the concern that, that's most troubling to me is when the when the healthy family becomes the goal, you know, whenever you, you move Jesus slightly to the left or slightly to the right of, of center, then you get the new goal and you start to build your church around helping healthy families and all that. And I think that's... Uh, that's a good insight, um, and maybe that's putting in words what was what's what's been troubling to me in some of this. Um, but I appreciate that. Well, hey, let's talk about your new book. Um, and you've just sent me a copy of this. It's it's not even released yet, but we're working on a review here at the uh, at the website on it. The Family Ministry Field Guide: How Your Church Can Equip Parents to Make Disciples. Tell me a little bit about this book and the idea behind it. Well, a few years ago, I wrote the book, or edited and wrote part of the book, um, Perspectives on Family Ministry, which presented um, what I knew then about the models of family ministry, this family-friendly or family-based approach on one side, a family-integrated on the other, and then this emerging family equipping model in the middle, but we were committed to uh, fostering that and to developing that at Southern Seminary. And so in the midst of all that, um, I began getting calls from people, and they, they were asking questions that I didn't have answers to. I just didn't know. What is it that I do first if I want to make a transition to family equipping? What are the actual reasons that parents aren't um, engaging with their children? All these things like that. And so I'm getting these uh, just by the hundreds, literally, of questions that I don't have any answers to. And so in the midst of all of that, um, I, I decided I'm, I'm going to seek out the answers uh, to these questions. And so uh, I, I developed an instrument in which I surveyed um, hundreds of parents, dozens of churches, and, and looked for different dynamics of what was going on. I, I did research with, with churches that had effectively moved to a family-equipping model, looking for the key factors in those churches, where they started, where they felt like they went wrong. So did all this research, and then really came back to, um, in the midst of all of that, how in all of this do we develop this in such a way that the gospel remains central in everything that is done, and how do we structure it around God's storyline of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. So all that brought it together and wanted to develop a tool to be able to put in pastor's hands and say, here's where you start, here's what you do, here are the pitfalls, here's remaining gospel-centered, all of that. And so that book grew, grew out of all this um, that I developed during that time. And, uh, and so what the book really does, it starts out basically saying, okay, first off, check your motivations in what you're doing. Why are you doing this? And it really uh, challenges pastors and churches to check their motivations. And then once you've checked your motivations and you've really centered your motivations in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then where do you go from there? Six months before you're going to launch a family ministry, five months, four months, three months, two months, then what process do you go through to put this in place in your congregation? How how do you, during all of this, remain gospel-centered uh, in that? How do you make sure that the children who are spiritual orphans aren't disenfranchised in this? So it really works through all of those things just very much that in-the-trenches, on-the-field guide 
to family ministry how you can do this. And uh, um, it's, it's just one of those, those books that emerges really from the crucible of ministry, of my own ministry and others' ministries and learning from them and uh, to provide a tool to pastors, to children's ministers, to youth ministers. How do I take the ministry I have and move it to being family equipping without adding any new programs, without um, getting my focus on, the, uh, on families instead of on the gospel? How do I practically speaking do this? And uh, hopefully it will be that tool that just helps them to move in that. It's got all sorts of in the back of it. It's got all sorts of forms you can do, um, worksheets for your, your staff meetings or for your volunteer meetings, all those things. Uh, just it's um, the, the joking thing I, I presented to the publisher is it's got everything that uh, somebody needs to make the transition to family equipping except for the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scripture, uh, both of which were too big to fit inside this book. Everything else is there for you to be able to do uh, to move your ministry, uh, your children's ministry, your youth ministry into a family equipping approach without adding any new programs. Hey, to, uh, Dr. Jones, thanks again for the time uh, you've given today for this podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you again sometime soon. All right. That sounds great. Thank you very much for having me.